Before you listen to this podcast, you can subscribe to The Critic magazine with the current offer of three issues for just £5. Head to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk, to subscribe today. Hello and welcome to The Critic podcast. As we have successfully survived a week in lockdown, we bring you the latest insights from the outside world. This week, Graham Stewart speaks to James Orr, lecturer of philosophy and theology at Cambridge University, about the effects of coronavirus on the church and where faith fits into our pandemic-stricken society. At a time when people are having to confront all sorts of problems in their lives because of a pandemic uh, that is on a scale that that this country has not seen for a hundred years, not seen since when, uh, indeed, scarcely anyone living here can remember, and many people naturally turn to God. But where is God? And and more specifically, where is the church and, and the other faiths right now? What is their contribution to helping society get through this time of trial? Well, to discuss the role of the church in the coronavirus crisis in whose grip we find ourselves, I have the pleasure of talking to James Orr. James, you are university lecturer in the philosophy of religion in the Divinity School at the University of Cambridge. A lot of people must be asking you at a time like this, where is God? Is he any less present than he was in previous times when societies have been put to the test? Well, if, if God exists, God is who he is. He is uh, outside space and time. He's not surprised by any of this. But of course, the way in which societies uh, make sense of these sorts of disasters and, and crises um, in the context of their religious commitments varies enormously and, and uh, has done, has varied a great deal down the ages. Um, I mean, in the, in the case of Christianity, uh, strikingly, it, it, panics have been, have led to uh, success stories, really. I mean, uh, thinking of the third century and the fourth century in particular, horrific plagues uh, tore apart the the Roman Empire, and it was really the responses of the Christians and the Christ- Christian communities that that um, did an extraordinary amount to enhance their credibility um, and the credibility of, of their faith. I mean, there's that famous letter of Julian the Apostate, who writes it rather grumpily to one of his officials um, in uh, in Bithynia, I think it was, uh, berating him for not doing enough to help the plague victims because these impious Galileans were helping not just uh, not just their own plague victims but ours as well, uh, and and actually that has been a fairly consistent theme in terms of at least the Christian responses to to plagues down the ages. Um, John Donne, of course, famously is. Dean of St Paul's uh, spoke, uh, uh, delivered some extraordinary sermons on mortality and, and death in the face of pestilence. Um, in the Catholic context, Charles Borromeo was uh, a, a remarkable figure. Uh, and of course, there have been many, has been a great tradition of medical missionaries uh, in the last two or three hundred years going to those places that, that um, no one else would and, and, and bringing help and 
uh, hope. Uh, uh, in fact, I mean, I think um, Christian organisations did a remarkable job in, uh, though largely unreported, uh, with the uh, e Ebola crisis a, a few years ago. Um, so, but of course, it, it's, it is an unprecedented time in the sense that uh, we haven't in living memory faced a crisis like this, and, and the Christian churches in England and, and in the UK haven't faced a, a crisis like this for, for, well, around about 100 years, I suppose. Um, and so it, it, it's, uh, very, it's very difficult to carp about the leadership of, of the church at the moment. I mean, it, it, these are uh, such tumultuous times. And I think part of the problem is that a lot of the oxygen is just sucked out of the room by the sort of daily reports of panic and um, increases in, in the mortality rate and, and so on. So it's very, very, been very difficult, I think, for church leaders to uh, get much of a platform. Well, the, the, the British have at least a, a couple of established faiths in this country. Uh, one is the Church of England, the Church of Scotland. Uh, the other is the NHS. And uh, at this moment, it is the NHS that is the faith, that is the focus of our hopes uh, of our worries, our, our concerns, and our, our also our, our prospect of salvation. Yes. So how does the established church, uh, and the other faiths too for that matter, how does the church compete with that? Well, with great difficulty, I think. And, and in part, this is because I think the NHS and public health more generally uh, is... Uh, is a, is a kind of Christianity in the sense that a lot of sort of Christian impulse uh, towards the elderly, the sick, the infirm, the disabled has been largely internalised and, and secularised but with, within, within the nation. And, and I think that's true of, of the West more generally. So that, as it were, the, the care that we extend towards those who are who are ill or, or, or at risk of, of um, health difficulties, um, is, is, as it were, it feels like a natural reflex, but in effect, it is something that has emerged over many, many centuries from a broadly, broadly Christian moral universe. Um, certainly, I think that's, that's true for the UK and, uh, and England, and so it's very difficult for as it were, the church is to carve out anything, a, a sort of a distinctive message beyond the sort of usual anodyne messages about uh, social distancing and hand washing and hygiene and so on. But, but very difficult to, for, for, for that established church to distinguish itself from any other kind of, of, of secular, uh, any other kind of secular authority. Yes, it struck me a moment ago, it struck me when you were describing how in the past hardships and plagues presented an opportunity for the church to, to embody the hope that, that, that God is with us. Um, in such difficult times, there were the priests putting themselves in danger, uh, going about tending to the, to the sick and poor, and often giving them the, the, the comfort of, of the last rites. And so those who, who suffered could see that the church was with them. 
it's difficult in this current environment for this to be apparent. I, I mean, if the Archbishop of Canterbury were to to go to and give spiritual succor by kneeling with coronavirus sufferers, uh, well, I mean, he'd be breaching clear guidelines uh, and he'd be told in no uncertain terms to keep a safe distance and, and to get himself back to Lambeth Palace. Um, you, you, you have many of the key milestones of life, baptisms and weddings, where the church plays a, a central role, suddenly declared unable to take place. I think that's right. Uh, and I think it's been apocalyptic in the technical sense in this, that it's been an unveiling, a, a disclosure, a, a remarkably clarifying moment for society, of course, but, but and for every institution in society, but, but for the church in particular. And yes, of course, I, I mean, I take your point that, that it's not as if the church leadership could have done anything other than get into line with public health recommendations and, 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 and government uh, recommendations and now uh, edicts. But I think there has been a sense that, that they've been remarkably quick to get in line with, with those edicts. And there hasn't been much criticism or, or complaint. Uh, I mean, of course, you know, the public health arguments for shutting down the churches are, are powerful and not to be gainsaid. But I think there was something quite quick and automatic about the, the, the compliance. Um, I mean, for example, I, I saw very little attempt to to query the assumption that a, that a daily walk outdoors is is essential for a bit of exercise, but a time of private prayer in a church is not. Um, and it's not to say that the closures are, are wrong, but there just doesn't seem to be much sort of heartache or hesitation uh, within the leadership over what amounts to the first time churches have been closed down since 1208, when... Um, Innocent III uh, issued his, his edict against St. John. I mean, this is a very big deal historically to, to shut down 16,000 churches for an indefinite period. Um, and certainly one can understand it for, you know, large, busy urban churches. But I think, you know, rural churches with very small congregations could have, um, I think the leadership might have tried to fight for some discretion over how it, how it manages those churches and managed perhaps even attempts to keep them open might have attempted to keep them open in a way that was broadly consistent with public health guidelines. Well, I mean, I, I notice where I live in Ely, uh, in Cambridgeshire, I mean, it's magnificent 900 euro cathedral and its great west doors are shut, padlocked. Whereas a few streets away at Ely's secular palace of adoration, Waitrose, uh, an orderly and appropriately spaced queue waits beyond its sliding doors, whilst only a few customers at a time are safely allowed in to go up and down the supermarket aisles. Uh, and, and yet the idea that, that a smaller number of people might trickle into the cathedral aisle is ruled to be out of the question. So it comes back to your point, I think, about whether the churches were shut too quickly before a way to use them could safely be found. Uh, particularly in rural parishes, you know, one or two parishioners with a vicar could gather with suitable distancing. It seems odd that all these shelters of refuge have been shut. It does. And in fact, that is roughly what happened, that that sort of uh, carefully organised and distancing uh, within churches is, is what happened, as I understand it, in, in other, other previous times of, of plague. 
and there was a sense that uh, it, the, the church was not optional, that being able to go to church for private prayer for, for the Eucharist, to celebrate the Eucharist, uh, w was not something that uh, was, as it were, non-essential. And I think that's, uh, the last few days and weeks have certainly clarified the non-essential character of uh, physical attendance at, at church. Um, now, it's true that Christians haven't always met in church buildings in, in, in the first two or three centuries. They were meeting in underground churches, in, in, in private homes and so on. It's not, uh, it's not as if uh, that it's part of any kind of creedal or biblical commitment that one meets in a, in a communal building. Um, but but it, it is striking that very little attempt to, was made to, to resist or try to find alternative arrangements as as you say the supermarkets have have managed to do uh, and, and that, that I think has, has been quite striking uh, now of course some you know the Church of England is, is as we know it's a it's a very broad a, a broad tent it, it spans across many different um, ways of, of, of uh, modes of worship as it were and so I think that you know some of the big evangelical churches and big urban churches are will probably cope pretty well. I mean, a lot of the time their services are broadcast, um, put onto podcasts and, and broadcast, if not live, then certainly recorded and up on YouTube or on the website very, very quickly. And I think those, um, that, that sort of low church expression of Christianity will, won't be too dented by any of this. But I think the, those parts of the Church of England, and certainly this will all be true of the Catholic Church too, that uh, uh, that include forms of worship where the materiality and, and sort of physical proximity of the sort of breaking of bread and the, uh, the and and, and uh, the sign of the peace and so on is is really indispensable. Uh, are, are going to be um, are going to be well threatened by by these measures, uh, but there's been a fairly sort of collective and quick. Uh, acceptance of of the guidelines and and of the the non-essential the, the the governing assumption that attending church on, on a weekly basis or going for private prayer even for priests now as I understand it priests themselves are are, are barred from from uh, celebrating mass as it were on their own uh, or even for private prayer on their own in in their churches I, I think that that is that was announced in the last few days. So, um, yes, I, I think that the, the silence is striking. Well, we are where we are with this, and it may be there are some relaxations in a few months, but assuming the, the restrictions remain in place for the time being, have you heard about or thought about creative ways by which the church can play a fuller role at this time? Well, I think a lot of the churches have already been doing what they do very well indeed, and that is to say, um, providing a, a a face, a human face to many people in um, in the community who who would not otherwise have very much human contact uh, uh, at all, and so. You know, there's been a very laudable emphasis on giving to food banks, on uh, staying in touch with with people, trying to um, organise um, services remotely. So this this has been happening a lot here. I I know in Cambridge, the University Church, Great St Mary's, is, does a, a sort of a daily prayer uh, and uh, worship online. 
Uh, and I think that many churches are, as it were, being forcibly migrated into the digital space, some much more reluctantly than others. Uh, the question is whether further down the line, many of these rural churches will will reopen or at least reopen and um, in a way that ensures, well, in a way that allows life to, to return to normal. Uh, I, I'm not sure that's that that's clear um but still you know so it, these are very very difficult times for religious communities because um you know christianity in in britain has never just been about the, the sunday services but the services that are provided on a daily basis to those at the the edges of society um whether it's um uh, people going through difficult divorces or um, pastoral visits uh, are going to obviously are going to be heavily restricted for the foreseeable future, um, and all of the all of the work that the, the sort of parochial system manages to do very very well. In fact, I would say better than than many uh, rival, as it were, state alternatives. Uh, it's going to be a, a very challenging time, I think. Um, but the response that it, it, the, the focus has been on, as it were physical health, uh, uh, getting enough food to people. It's not been a, a case of delivering a distinctively theological message about, you know, the salvation of souls or, or, or the transience of earthly existence. There hasn't been much reflection on, on, on mortality, I suppose, about, uh, on the nature of the human condition, which is really, I think, where the churches should be... Um, showing their, their, the strength of their tradition. Uh, the focus has been broadly, I think, and, and will continue to be on, on quite, well, this worldly concerns. And is that a reflection of where the, the church is generally, or, or to, to get personal, is, is it a, a reflection on the particular leadership of Justin Welby at, at, at this moment? Yes, I, I mean, I think that, that you know, the, the church and church leadership does, on the whole, reflect the the mood and attitudes of uh, society more more generally and um i i think that there's there's a sort of a, a basic acceptance or basic collusion with the with the denial of death um you know mortality is always on mute in the modern age um but it is one of the tasks of the church to speak plainly and, and truthfully about the, the the fact of death and to and to draw on its uh, resources to to explain the the hope that Christianity places in the abundance of life and uh, beyond biological death and and that way of thinking that the sort of language needed to express those sorts of sentiments and ideas d does seem to be um, very very hard for most church leaders. Uh, but is that? Uh, is that a specifically modern Anglican, maybe also Presbyterian, uh, Anglican reticence? If we look elsewhere in Europe, particularly to, to Catholic Europe, uh, I wonder how the church in, in Italy and Spain and so on, I, I wonder how the Catholic church is responding to this crisis. Yes, I, I mean, from what I, from what I gather, the response of uh, the church in northern Italy has been pretty remarkable, or at least the, the behaviour of um, individual priests. I mean, I think uh, I read a report that as many as 50 Italian priests have, have, have lost their 
lives now, um, one of whom I gather was was trying to 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 give his ventilator to a to a to a younger victim uh, and I think that, that that that's quite remarkable of course many people have there have been many victims in Italy, but nevertheless fifty or so is a, represents a very high a high proportion um, and uh, you know there have been many stories of of uh, priests in northern Italy and Spain um, as it were you know walking with the sacrament through the streets. Um, praying in public, uh, taking hearing confessions uh, face to face, um, and uh, celebrating the mass and uh, and so on. Now, of course, you know we we now might look on that and, and shudder and say that, that this is in the name of, of of trying to secure the salvation of souls. They are simply uh, turning into to super spreaders, and and this is a sort of this is disastrous. But um, I think there has been a, a slight difference in the responses within um, within, within Catholic countries. Uh, now, now the, the, the Pope, Pope Francis, the Pope earlier had a cold, not, not we think, coronavirus. Uh, but how has he responded to this coronavirus crisis? Is he taking a lead or is he more in the background? Well, of course... The, He's in a very difficult position. I mean, he's in in the Vatican, uh, walled in effectively, uh, d- within within a country that has been uh, affected um, worse than any other country in, in the world, uh, at least per per capita. Uh, there were those very striking images of him walking through the empty streets of Rome, um, uh, praying and um, uh, generally. You know, acting in a way that you would expect a, a pope to to, to act uh, with with uh, with courage and with a, a message of hope, but he's been, I think, pretty pretty quiet through through the whole um, through through the crisis. I mean, there have been some messages here and there, but uh, broadly speaking, he's been having to um, uh, take his cue. In, in in the messages, take his cue. The messages, public messages, he's been giving, taking his cue from um, public health authorities, uh, and so I think there is also a sense that that within the Catholic Church too, there's been a fairly m- muted theological response to to the crisis. So, in essence, uh, uh, do you have a feeling, James, that when this is over, uh, as one day it will be over? that the churches will find themselves a little weakened in their position in society? Or might we see a return to faith as people confront their own mortality? Well, you know, I think one shouldn't overlook the positives. Uh, I mean, uh, in, in England, um, Justin Welby, was it on Mother and Sunday, he, he uh, did a rather moving service in the Crypt Chapel at Lambeth Palace. And I think it was about three and a half million people tuned in. Uh, and that was a sign that the church has a, a significant reach. Uh, now, in part, it was because the, the service was broadcast across um, most local radio stations and, and the whole country was at home anyway. But that's still an awful lot of people. And, um, and, and the Archbishop delivered a, a message of, of hope, um, uh, hope and trust over fear that I think will reach people. And... Um, whether there's any um, sense that this is going to uh, strengthen the faith in, in Europe more generally, I, 
very hard to say. I mean, of course, demographically speaking, um, Christianity is in what may well be a death spiral in, in most European countries. Um, I mean, that's not, not the picture across the board, but the, uh, the general picture is, is, is pretty bleak for European Christianity. Um, whether this catalyzes the decline or, or slows it is, is it's very difficult, very difficult to say. I mean, I think one of the problems is that um, the churches have got used to uh, responding to particular kinds of crisis in a way that um, has a kind of currency with secular shibboleths and secular orthodoxies. So um, the church is, is actually very skilled at dealing with issues like cl climate change or um, uh, the crisis of capitalism. I think the, the problem with, with the, the, this global pandemic is that it's so unprecedented and it hasn't really been worked through theologically. And perhaps it's fair just to, to, to give church leaders and theologians, um, Christian intellectuals, a, a, a bit of time for, for the dust to settle and um, for, for more measured, reflective responses to be to be given. And uh, there are some remarkable thinkers out there. I mean, I, I've seen the, the, the uh, latest issue of The Critic just pop through my letterbox. There's a wonderful piece by, by Dan Hitchens on uh, Tom Holland's recent book and uh, Douglas Murray's recent book and is it Ben Ryan's book. And that, I think that just shows that there's a real, um, there's still real intellectual vibrancy and, and, and spark among lay Christians. Um, and that in this, if we are entering what is being called by some a sort of post-liberal era, um, it, it, that there is a, an awful, there are an awful lot of resources within the uh, intellectual traditions of, of Christianity and, and Judaism to, um, to try to address some of the, the deep crises that are afflicting us in the West at the moment. So with that thought that at the end of a long and very dark tunnel, there may be light, uh, we're going to have to leave it there, James. I've been talking to James Orr, lecturer in the philosophy of religion at the University of Cambridge. James, thank you very much and please stay safe. Great to be with you. If you've enjoyed listening to The Critic Podcast, why not subscribe to have the magazine delivered to your door? Subscribe today with the offer of three issues for just £5 by heading to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk.